0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popovich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters, it's more than money.
1: I'm Faisal Carmeli, my co-host here Dave Pop. which, how you doing buddy?
0: I'm great Faisal, how about you?
1: Good, we got a great show
0: today. Uh, I, we're gonna learn about something new, at least new for me, right? Uh, in the digital space, non-fungible tokens, yep. a phrase I'm not sure most people are familiar with, but something that is going to continue to catch headlines and attention, uh, I think in the next little while.
1: And we're gonna talk about something that you're very familiar with, being emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, <laughs> emotional investing, how it can actually ruin your retirement we're going to definitely talk about that and so this is turning into spring spring turning uh to to look into a different cycle happening maybe in your backyard or maybe out there in the markets let's talk about some cycles cycles my brand everything goes in cycles yes and we've heard of a lot of cycles in the past but this one's a unique one Mm -hmm. have you heard of the concept nft i have to say i have not. Yeah, you heard of N- NSF. That's yeah. what happens in yeah. your check out. Yeah, account. that's right. I keep getting your checks. Yes, right. exactly. So <laughs> let's talk about NFT. This is a new hype. It's been going all around uh, uh, the media. There's been a lot of people's uh, uh, concepts. For example, uh, we've, we've heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this, Mark Cuban, uh, Lindsay Lohan, you know, Logan Paul. Yep. Very, very popular and celebrities talking about these types of things. So let's talk about it because there's going to be, an, uh, there's going to be some appetite for it. Well, let's talk about what
0: NFT is, first of all. Let's start there, but okay. let's get the
1: experts on because you know I was going to say? That, that's not for you and I to discuss. Absolutely. Let's start at the <laughs> beginning,
0: right? We've got Dr. Richard Smith. He's the CEO of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles. He's also
2: known as the Doctor of Uncertainty. Dr. Smith, welcome to the show. Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Well, we've got to start right at the beginning here. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of background on, um, on what NFT
2: stands for and what it is? Sure. NFT stands for non-fungible token. Um, and uh, non-fungible means that you can't exchange one for another and have them be exactly the same. Like if you take a dollar out of your wallet and I take it out of mine, we can trade them with each other and both of us will be happy. But for things that are not fungible, they can't just be exchanged one for another, um, that doesn't work. So non-fungible means it's unique, and it's a token, meaning that it's a kind of cryptocurrency that leverages blockchain technology, um, which is an encrypted accounting ledger, the simplest way to think about it. And so it means that uh, it's validated and authenticated using blockchain technology. So, so, Dr. Smith, where does this fit in the the whole concept of cycles? This
0: is a new cycle, or this is something new? But just maybe give me some perspective in the broader
2: in the broader things with your study around cycles. Sure. Well, I think that broadly, um, we're seeing a lot of speculative excess in markets in general right now, and. Um, Prices have been going up, oftentimes you know quite dramatically, without a lot of change in underlying fundamentals, and we uh, have seen cycles of that before. <laughs> so, um, oftentimes, uh, you know, there every 10 years, every 20 years, literally there are cycles. Especially the first two years of every decade, and the first two years of every second decade in particular, are oftentimes uh, times of market correction. That's actually when I got started investing myself back in 1999 and 2000 and uh, went through the dot-com bust. And, you know, it uh, feels a little familiar right now. They say, you know, uh, history uh, doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And so, you know, I think that um, while I am certainly uh, a big advocate and fan and investor in blockchain and cryptocurrency myself, um, you know, I do think that. What we're seeing in NFTs is part of the, uh, you know, the speculative um, fervor that's at work in the markets right now. Somebody else, another commentator, said they are both historical and
1: hysterical, and uh, I agree with that completely. Let's to understand more about how these NFTs work. You kind of have to understand how blockchain works, and. You, you've given us a, a, a description of an accounting ledger that's encrypted, but it's it's a yeah. bit more detailed about blockchain and why it's so unique. And it's been that technology that has really blown up for things like cryptocurrencies and so forth. Give us a bit more understanding of what does a block, what does the what is the blockchain, and what does it do?
2: Well, I think uh, NFTs are actually a great example of the power of blockchain and crypto, because it shows how the technology can be used um, for peer-to-peer exchange of value. And the disintermediation I know that's a lot of syllables in one word, but you know, taking out the middleman, uh, in this case, you know, oftentimes between artists and their fans. So one of the NFTs that's getting a lot of attention right now is a special edition of an album that's been released by a new band called Kings of Leon. And um, some uh, buyers of the album are buying a special NFT version of the album that gives them a unique uh, kind of collectible edition with some special features. And, and, through the blockchain, they're able to say, you know, to identify themselves as the unique owners of those special editions, and then they can go actually sell it um, to somebody else if they want directly. And that happens um, all online, and it happens peer-to-peer. So, so that's really interesting, actually, Faisal. So, so this Christmas, um, I
0: let me see if I understand this correctly, because I got a gift. You, meant, you know which one I'm talking about, it was a gift of a, um, um, a movie script uh, that I'm fond of by an actor that I'm fond of, and it was signed. And uh, the signature was, yeah. uh, uh, I guess, um, authentic or verified by another person. So this, in mm-hmm. this particular case, what you're saying is that that script in the blockchain could be provided with a unique identifier for all those verifications and assume that there's no or eliminate any potential fraud. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. That's right. So, you know, it's not going to be a physical print with somebody's signature that, you know, has to be verified in some sense by somebody else and that you don't know it's forged, but for digital assets, you can uniquely identify them and guarantee that they're not forgeries using this NFT technology.
1: Yeah. Do do you see that this moving into a bigger market? And when you start talking about a unique piece of, of an item, that's, that's you own and you can trade it or sell it. It sounds like to me when I was a kid collecting, uh, hockey cards. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a rookie card mm-hmm. of a, yeah. of a professional athlete, that's worth a certain value. If it's mint value, so on and so forth, you can sell it, you can trade it, you can, but it's yours and you have it in your possession physically. The blockchain is more of a electronical right. wallet of that. Um, it, it, do you right. see this actually morphing into something like that? Is that the cycle that we're heading to?
2: You know, I think that that is the idea, and and that is the NBA is doing that now with their Top Shot series of videos that you can collect. For me, it was baseball cards when I was a kid. Um, so I do think that there's an analogy there. I'm, I'm not completely sold on that analogy because, um, you know, these videos that are being sold on as – via NFTs with the NBA, they are videos that you can go watch online. Uh, from my understanding elsewhere, you don't have to own them to watch them and you don't get any royalties from your ownership of an NFT, you know, uh, video, uh, sports card, if you will. So I, you know, it's a little bit of a mystery to me, but that is the idea. Um, that people are buying them because they think they'll be collectibles and that they can sell them for a higher price later on. So we'll see. So what's the mechanism then
0: to, um, uh, to get involved? Like how do you create, how is an NFT created and and, uh, what's that process like for somebody who's listening, listening audience here?
2: Yeah, well, there's um, online marketplaces, you know, you can think of them kind of like a stock exchange. Uh, There's one called OpenSea.io, and um, you can go and uh, essentially uh, bring your own digital asset, your own creation, and turn it into an NFT and sell it Mm -hmm. um, to somebody else, usually using uh, Ether, which is the... Cryptocurrency on the Ethereum blockchain, mm-hmm. uh, or you can bring your NFT there and sell it to buyers and sellers. I'm looking actually at the uh, site right now and Kings of Leon NFT albums are selling. Uh, they're apparently trading somebody's bot, at least one at uh, three tenths of an Ether, which you know, is at least several hundred dollars, which surprises me because I think they're selling them for like $50. Um, and from what I understand, they're selling them to anyone who wants to buy one in the next two weeks. So they haven't put like a certain, you know, fixed number of, uh, that they're going to sell. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's a brave new world. (laughs) Well, that's for
0: sure. Listen, we've got to take we've got to take a quick break here, but uh, I want to talk about how you invest in the NFT and how you get involved uh, when we come back. But before we um, before we take off, it is a brave new world. There's so much change and so much going on. How do you build a foundation to make sure, Faisal, that you've got your your lifestyle locked in from a retirement
1: perspective? Yeah, we're going to talk about how you actually fund your retirement. For the rest of your life and that is on tuesday april 20th 7 p.m live online you need to register for this so go to more that's more to register
0: all right let's learn how we can in- invest or get involved in nfts after the break you're on 770 chqr and more than money welcome back here with david Faisal on 770 chqr and more than money we're joined by dr richard smith ceo of the foundation for the study of cycles also known as the doctor of uncertainty we're talking about nfts now let me just get this right non-fungible tokens
1: correct and take a moment to get
0: that out properly
1: you know there's been so many people looking at different ways of 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 investing yeah the typical stock and bond market is is one way but there are other ways cryptocurrency has been a conversation collectibles art and now these nfts and the question always comes up well then How do I get my piece of the pie, right? Like, how do I get it right for
0: me, or what, you know, what, what, what do I have to know?
1: Yeah, so so we have Dr. Richard Smith, CEO of the Foundation of Study of Cycles, also known as the Doctor of Uncertainty, Dr. Smith. The question I have for you is, how does someone, the general public, get in and start either investing in the technology of NFTs or actually these products that are available via an NFT? Well, I'm not aware of, of
2: uh, any companies that you can invest in at the moment um, where you can invest in the technology itself. But if you want to actually buy some NFTs and hold on to them in the hope of that they'll appreciate in value, then you need to get a uh, a cryptocurrency wallet, a digital wallet, and you need to trade some dollars or uh, Um, Trade some dollars for some Ether, and then you need to take that Ether to a place like OpenSea.io and uh, buy some NFTs in this um, online marketplace. So it does involve a little bit of facility with this world of cryptocurrency, um, enough to open up a wallet and buy some Ether and then be able to go uh, trade that Ether for some NFTs.
1: So beyond this album of this band that came out, what other items are you seeing? Because I don't, I don't, I'm not in front of the computer right now to, to see this, but yeah. what other items are out there? And where do you see this heading towards? Like, Is this going to be bigger and more and more items are going to be put on there that are that actually tradable? Like I understand the NBA is doing what the NBA is doing just to test it out. Right. At some point, this, is, this might be a viable option for people to buy collectibles or certain limited items. Um, where do you see this headed?
2: It might, I do think it's something that, uh, while it is something that I am very interested in and excited about, you know, I, I really love the idea of creators and their, uh, fans being able to, um, exchange value with each other directly. And I think that's part of what this does. Um, I do think it's something where people really need to redefine print. It's easy to get caught up in the hype right now. There's a lot of attention on this, and things are going for what seem to be you know pretty extraordinary prices. I think one of uh, LeBron James's video snippet video basketball cards just sold for something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh Christie's is doing an auction of a digital art piece right now um, that is supposedly last quote was three point five million dollars so Um, you know, you got to read the fine print and you got to know what you're buying. And you have to really figure out if there is true scarcity here and something that's likely to increase in value. Um, and, uh, I think it's something that if you're interested in it, you should absolutely get involved, but at the same time, uh, it needs to be with money that you can afford to, uh, not see again for a while. So I'm sure you all have familiarity with, you know, managing investments and taking advantage of speculative opportunities, but it's got to be with money that you can afford to lose.
0: So on that point, let's, let's broaden the conversation just a minute away from uh, NFTs because I want to go back to cycles for a moment and maybe, maybe you can speak to, um, uh, to cycles again, whatever point in the cycle you think that um, blockchain or digital currency or NFTs might be in, but in general, what do people need to know about currencies um, relative to what you're seeing, uh, not currencies, excuse me, cycles relative to what you're seeing today?
2: Well, I think that um, we're closer to the cycle tops than we are to the cycle bottoms. I think that, you know, we're in a 12 year bull market coming out of the 2009 financial crisis, and um, people need to be aware of the possibilities of corrections. I think there are a real possibility. I think the cycles certainly indicate that risk. We saw Ray Dalio come out this week talking about his concerns about the marketplace. We saw Jeremy Grantham come out um, and talk about his concerns, you know, and then we heard Vlad Tenev, you know, new, uh um, Wonderkind of Robin Hood come out and call Charlie Munger elitist and, uh, you know, disrespectful. So that's the nature of the cycle that we're in right now. Um, You know, I think, uh, as I said before, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And so I think it's a time that everybody just needs to be uh, cautious and not overextending themselves um, not necessarily running for the hills, but uh, but certainly aware of, you know, that prices don't always just keep going straight up. <laughs>
1: Dr. Smith, in, in history, there have been times where people get ahead of themselves because of what's been out there. And we'll go back to the, the dot-com era. People were getting very excited yes. overvaluing certain companies and so forth. And then this little thing called Y2K came in, and people were scared about losing their 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 information there was a whole bunch of issues with the with computers and the world not working and we're all gonna you know die and all this kind of stuff we're getting to a point right now where although blockchain fairly new out there there are some concerns that you could put all your life savings into into digital currencies and it could be stolen taken away from you and so forth is the safety of these collectibles and the cryptocurrency on these on this type of technology, are, are we concerned about that? Because we hear cases of that. Of course, that's going to be overblown. But what, what's the safety for an average American or Canadian to, to say, I want to get in on this and I know my money is safe?
2: I think that. That is always a concern about blockchain. It is an encryption technology. And for one thing, if that encryption is ever broken, then um, the whole game is over. So it is something that uh, you need to be careful about. Another thing is if you lose your keys, if you lose your, your passwords, you can't recover it ever. It's gone. So it is something that you need to be careful with. I do think it has a place in uh, people's portfolios. It's certainly had a place in my portfolio, and I've been very happy with it. But it's not something that I would be putting my life savings in uh, by any stretch, um, certainly not at this stage of my life. Uh, but I do think it can make a, uh, an interesting and complementary um, uh, asset in a portfolio, And I think if you really believe in the opportunities for people to interact and exchange value more directly with fewer middlemen, then it's a technology that you absolutely should uh, allocate some capital to because you're helping build the new world by uh, loaning your capital to this enterprise. And I think that's great. That should be part of what investing is.
0: Dr. Smith, we have to leave it there. I want to thank you very much for your time.
2: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care,
0: guys. We've been joined by Dr. Richard Smith as the CEO of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, as a doctor of uncertainty. And, Basil, there is some uncertainty in this area in new technology, but there's also uncertainty for people when they look forward into their future and what
1: their retirement looks like, right? Running out of money, volatility in the markets, economic changes, everything that's going on puts a lot of stress on a person that's transitioning into retirement or living in retirement And so we're going to show you our strategy on how you bulletproof your retirement. And that is on Tuesday, April 20th, 7 p.m. live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: Stick around after the break. Did you know your emotions could actually destroy your retirement? Let's talk about that after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money here with Dave and Faisal and we're talking today Faisal about a topic that I think is going to be of real interest um, in this particular environment you know during the pandemic and post pandemic now it's something that we have talked about in the past it's called behavioral finance and it's it has an influence we often talk to people about the fact that investing is part math and science and it's part art and emotion
1: yeah and let's change the words today from behavioral finance only to Emotional investing. Emotional investing I think that's where the focus is going to be. We've seen that throughout our career in this business, but I think it's going to be a little bit different this time around because of the pandemic. Very rare times do we have in history where we've been uh, seeing such opportunities in different types of yeah. asset classes yeah. while going through a recession, while being isolated in your own uh, own dwelling and whole bunch of things that are going on. And now... Um, emotional investing will come out i think at a higher level but let's let's talk to the experts who've been doing a lot more research on this
0: well and i think why people need to pay particular attention um, to this conversation is because this can actually do real damage to your uh to your uh, portfolio the flow of capital your ability to fund your lifestyle in retirement this can do real damage if you get it wrong anyways we've got a terrific guest to help us understand this uh dr greg davies phd head of behavioral finance oxford risk greg welcome to the show
3: thank you very much Jens.
0: Okay. So um, you have said that this could be a perfect storm for emotional investing. I think we're going to start with that statement right there and maybe walk us why you think that's the case and what do you mean?
3: Well, you, you, we've had financial crises before, 2008, 2009. You know, Markets got incredibly disrupted. Everyone got stressed. But there was a very big difference between that and the situation we're at now because that was a that was a financial crisis, almost exclusively. Whereas now we have potentially, for many people, simultaneously a financial crisis, their livelihoods are, are, are at risk, many people uh, are, are, you know, are not getting the income, they don't have the certainty of income they're used to. It is also a health crisis and it is a social crisis because we've all been shut away from each other. These stresses all compound on each other and one of the things that we know that happens when people are, are stressed, when people are anxious, is that the emotional component of our decision starts to loom larger and larger and larger. And in an investing context, you could think, what happens is people's emotional time horizons get shorter. And if you wanna be a good investor, you need to be focused on the horizon, you need to be focused on the long term. And the more our decisions are made around what makes me feel emotionally comfortable today, the more I'm gonna be deviating from what is actually good investment decision-making and good practice for my long-term financial needs. So all of these stresses crowd in. Add to that, people are stuck at home. They've got time on their hands, there's there's boredom. All of these things compound into this, this perfect storm.
1: Greg, I, I've always heard from many of the experts in the market saying there's two things that push the market up or down, fear and greed. And I wanna challenge that with many of them. I think it's fear and fear of missing out. So I think those are the two that actually drive markets more. I don't think it's greed. Mm-hmm. I think people are afraid of missing out. And so we know, and, and your research has shown that the average investor loses 3% average rate of return per year over the long term because of emotional investing. And now you're feeling it's gonna be even more given this, uh, this pandemic. Give us a bit more insight of why you think, first of all, where did we get the 3% from and why you think it's gonna be more this time around?
3: Yeah, so the, the 3% comes from looking at reams and reams of academic studies and academic literature over the last decades about how our emotionally-led decision-making costs us money in various ways. But we can roughly think of this as coming in two big chunks. One chunk is the fear, very much closely related to the fear aspect, is uh, probably the biggest behavioral cost for most people is not what you do when you're invested. It's the fact that many people are too reluctant to invest in the first place. They leave money that they don't need for expenditure in the next couple of years. They leave it sitting in cash, year after year after year after year. And the lost, the foregone returns from failing to invest for emotional reasons can for many people actually be the biggest behavioral cost uh, when it comes to doing the right thing with your money. The other component is when we are invested, we do what feels comfortable in the moment. That frequently means we overtrade it means we tend to take on more risk when times are good and less risk when times are bad. And you really don't need me to sit here and tell you that you should be buying low and selling high, not the reverse. But our psychology leads us to do exactly the opposite. And that those, those actions that we take along the investment journey um, cost us money in the long term. Because what we're doing is we're, we're acting in a way that buys me the emotional comfort I need to get through today. But in doing so, I'm taking actions that are costing me money in terms of long term returns. And that is often thought of as what's called the behavior gap. It's the gap between the investment returns if I just invested my money in a diversified portfolio and sat tight. Doesn't take a great deal of skill to do that. But the average investor probably underperforms that simple buy and hold strategy by around one and a half to 2% per year for the money they put into the markets.
0: Greg, let me just, maybe you can expand on this, um, about market timing. So uh, I get exactly what you're saying, and part of this sitting on cash, often for people, is this notion is I'm going to wait for a pullback or I'm going to time the market. But that market timing decision also happens all the time with investors when they see volatility, say, in the stock market. They get scared, they sell out, and they're going to wait to get back in lower. And we know that they almost never do that, right? Because it's terrifying when it's low they would rather buy high. And there's your scenario by, about buying high, selling low. So what can you tell us about that market timing decision that people try to make as well?
3: Well, for most people, and here I'm not talking about professional investors who, who are forced to be in the market and are forced to time. The, the, the thing that uh, a retail or a, or a household investor has that the professionals do not have, and it is a huge advantage, is they have the value of time. They can just afford to put money in and wait. They can sit out the ups and downs. Now, they can do that financially, but very often they cannot do it emotionally. And so for a a retail investor, a non-professional investor, honestly, the best thing to do with regard to market timing is not to try to do it. Because, um, you know, when do I put my money in the market? There is not a single day in the whole of recorded human history where it would not have been really easy to find an excuse why today I should not invest because there's always something going on in the newspapers, there's always some, you know, some bad news. And what we find is that when people are sitting on cash, uninvested, they lurch from one excuse to another of why today I should not get it in. And often those excuses are, I'm waiting for the right time. But how do you know when the right time is there? You, you, you simply don't, right? So it is much better to go, I don't have a crystal ball. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna put my money in and for investors of this sort, frankly, an optimal strategy is one of benign neglect. That Put your money to work and then just leave it alone. Now, that is not emotionally easy to do because as humans, we have this, this action bias. We, we, we think that um, if I'm invested, if all my money's in that market, I better be doing something with it all the time. Whereas in reality, frankly, the best thing to be doing is, is nothing for quite a lot of that time.
1: Greg, we've seen a big rush of other types of investments that have been very popular during this pandemic and maybe even just before the pandemic, one being Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, other ones being these meme stocks, maybe even a gold rush, if you want to call that to some degree. How did those types of investments get so popular uh, from a from a, an emotional perspective and I can go back to even cannabis stocks when it first came out here in Canada uh, where people were going saying just we have to be part of that um, and that's where I get my FOMO idea the fear of missing out tell me about more about how how it gets to this kind mm. of level where people are just going I get a lot more phone calls about cryptocurrency now than I ever have in history and, and so why are people doing that now so maybe you can give me some insight on where does that that mindset or behavioral viewpoint come from
3: yeah, I mean, one thing I might challenge there is the characterization of those things as investments, because um, a lot of the time the behavior we're seeing is not investing behavior, it's, it's, it's gambling behavior. But, um, you know, the, the two things that we've already drawn attention to, the fact that people have time on their hands and they're bored and the fact that people are stressed and they have a shorter emotional time horizon, those are still playing out. But when we start to look at, at the sorts of investments that you're talking about, um, you're absolutely right on the FOMO, because particularly in times of stress, the, the appeal of the get-rich-quick scheme gets, looms emotionally larger. It becomes more and more appealing. And when I see other people around me, as humans, we are incredibly relative people. The fact that I maybe, my investments may have gone up by 10% is not enough to make me happy if I see that my neighbor's investments have gone up by 20%. And so absolutely, you're right, that FOMO is, is there. The other thing that I think plays on this is there is a very strong social element in this. Um, the effect of social media, the effect of information sharing in groups, in, in tribes, in like-minded people, a lot of this behavior is people gain a lot of emotional comfort from belonging to a group and from following a herd. And so in a way, sitting outside can start to be the stressful thing. And so we pile into these meme stocks, into, uh, you know, into these, uh, these investments that, that, that are um, whims
0: of the moment. Greg, we're going to have to pause there for a moment, but I want you to stick around and thank you for uh, joining us just uh, after the break. I'll get back to that moment. But Faisal, we've got an upcoming seminar that uh, we've got to try to make some sense of this stuff, right? So the emotional investing, taking advantage of opportunities, not falling victim, uh, you know, to to the short-term FOMO effects that you talk about, all an important element of making sure that you get long-term success in retirement. It's
1: about structure and discipline, Dave. And that's what we're going to talk about with our five pillar investment strategy at our seminar. And that is on Tuesday, April 20th, 7 PM live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com
0: to register. Vaccines are rolling out. People are getting more optimistic. Okay, that's an emotional investing trigger. What problems can you experience coming up? Stick around after the break to make sure that you don't fall victim to one of those. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Faisal, we talk about emotional investing and FOMO and these, these, you know, Greg's talking about the triggers and the behaviors that can often cost us significant amounts of return on a compounded basis each and every year. Well, guess what? Vaccines are rolling out. I'm feeling more optimistic. You're feeling more optimistic. I can't wait to get back out there and see my friends and socialize and do all these things. But that optimism may be a trigger for some emotional investing decisions, and it could lead us to a very interesting place. Let's find out from Greg Davies. Greg Davies uh, is the P- Sorry, he's a PhD, and he's the head of behavioral finance, Oxford Risk. Greg, welcome back, and thank you for sticking around. I am curious, if we're talking about emotional investing... And people are, you know, emotionally getting ready. I mean, if I feel like if I'm normal, I'm ready to get back out there, start socializing and feel better. Could that optimism and that emotion lead me down a path from an investment perspective that might be dangerous?
3: It, it could do. I have to say, I think the bigger danger here is less um, in the investment side and it's in the spending side. Um, there is a, there's a big danger that um, people are going to feel this optimism. They're going to, it's going to feel like the problem's solved. And there's an enormous virtue yeah. to admitting to oneself that we don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. And once you do that, the issue is not what can I predict coming around the corner? It's how do I make myself resilient to whatever comes around the corner? And one of the things that we need to do there is to make sure that you don't suddenly go out and start spending too much and, and, and your your war chest of resilience that's going to get you through whatever might come up next dwindles away. So I think people need to be very cautious getting back and not going out on a big spending spree and going, well, hey, the world is, the world is fantastic again. Um, I think there are investment dangers as well um, of people being optimistic. Um, although I, I actually wonder whether on balance the problem isn't more likely to be in the other direction. Because you already said earlier, after a crisis, people are out of the markets, they struggle to get back in. And very often, they wait and they wait and they wait, and then the markets have gone up and then they think, oh, no, I'm too late and so you never get back in at all. I think possibly the biggest problem here is people not thinking through this in the sense of, actually, we we know in the US, in the UK, cash balances on on a household basis are are much higher than normal. Now, holding some of that cash is quite useful, but actually getting it invested for the long-term is even more useful. And I feel that there may be a bigger danger of paralysis here than there is of over-optimistic surging back into the markets.
1: We see paralysis come in, and at times like this, when we call it an economic recovery, mm. we also see an aggressive behavior with some. The, they didn't make as much last year, or they're, they're behind on their goals, or when you, when you produce a retirement plan for somebody and say you might have to delay your retirement or save more money, the response with many is just go make me more money. Let's, let's increase the risk that's out there yeah. just so I can catch up. And I find that's, a, that's an issue. Mm. What's been some of your, your research on that, Greg, in regards to people trying to feel like they have to catch up in these types of scenarios?
3: It, it's a huge problem. P- possibly one of the most studied uh, psychological factors when it comes to you know, behavioral science in finances is, uh, is loss aversion. People really, really, really hate feeling like they're behind something that they've previously achieved, like they're lower than they wanted to be. And when that happens, um, rather than relinquish my expectations and go, you know what, Uh, in 2019, I wanted to get, you know, up there, but 2020 happened and it was a bad year. And I have to, I have to just reevaluate where I'm heading for. Instead of doing that, people go, actually, you know what, if I'm going to get there, if I'm going to get to where I was hoping to get to, I need to roll the dice. And that loss aversion, I mean, it's a very immediate emotional trigger. Um, Being in the red relative to where I wanted to be leads to a whole lot of very knee-jerk reactions and many of them come from additional risk-taking. So yeah, that I think will be a danger for many. What what is important here, by the way, is there, there are so many of these things going in different directions and understanding the individual is really important.
1: Yeah, we have about one minute left before we have to go to break here, Greg. Give us three tips for our listeners right now on how they can become more successful in their investing based on your research. So the first thing I would
3: say is any decision you make, give yourself a pause point. Never enact the decision that you've made immediately. Take a walk around the block, sleep on it overnight, phone a friend, whatever it is, give yourself yourself a break there. Second thing is try not to look at the detail before you look at the big picture. There's information coming at us all the time look look big big picture first and the third thing is um, try to focus all your decisions on a longer horizon our emotional horizons are short at times like this we need to be thinking about our long-term goals and our decision making should come from that wellspring
0: greg well said thank you very much we're going to have to wrap it up at that point we appreciate you taking the time with us today best to you we've been joined by dr greg davies phd head of behavioral finance at oxford risk You know, risk is a big part of the overall equation, right? You've made so many good points in in this particular conversation alone about how people respond to being behind or Greg said they don't take the long term. It's the short term or God forbid their neighbor had a higher rate of return. than they did all of these things lead to a lack of discipline a knee jerk reaction, as Greg said, and we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen.
1: Correct. Structure, discipline. And we're going to give a bit of a tip to everybody at this webinar on losing less is making more in a lot of cases, and we're going to do that Tuesday, April 20th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on
0: 770 CHQR. We look forward to chatting with you next week.